are on. Excellent. Good morning, comrades, and welcome to the 31st chapter of the Perthian Chronicles. I'm Ryan Morano, and today I'm chatting with artist extraordinaire Joe Louis. Writer, director, actor, lighting and sound designer and musician, Joe is the definition of a jack of all trades. Just to list some of the things he's achieved over the years, in 2007 he formed the Renegade Production Company. In 2015 he was a member of the Black Swan State Theatre Company's Emerging Writers Group. Joe has also lectured and tutored at, the, at Curtin University and the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. And just to list some of Joe's activities in 2017, he was nominated for a 2017 Fringe World Festival Theatre Award for his project The Book of Life at the Studio Underground. Joe designed the lighting for the Black Swan State Theatre Company's production of The Lighthouse Girl, directed Tamagotchi Reset at the Blue Room Theatre, he composed music for Maxima's production of Fearless at the Mandra Performing Arts Centre. Again for the Black Swan State Theatre Company, he directed and sound designed Doug Wright's I Am My Own Wife, lighting and designer and dramaturg for Valentine at the Blue Room Theatre, and creating Unveiling Gay Sex Friend Times at the Blue Room Theatre. Joe, welcome. Hi. Did you find the arts, or did the arts find you? I definitely found the arts and I grew up in Singapore and had kind of like a weird kind of relationship with everyone around me over there and the arts was definitely a refuge and something I knew I definitely wanted to spend my life doing from a pretty young age. So I came to Australia and I kind of found it and kind of decided to commit fully to being an artist and being in the arts at the end of my undergrad degree and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. Where did you study? studied at Murdoch University. Yeah, I did, um, my undergrad degree was in psychology, but I did, so Murdoch gave you the option to do any number of electives, so I wound up doing like a double major in English uh, with the focus on theatre arts and then I did my honours in theatre and did... <laughs> most of a PhD in theatre before dropping out and becoming an artist full-time, yeah. Because I, I know Murdoch's got a wonderful... I remember watching, I think a couple of years ago, a production, an adaptation of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, the theatre, like, the production value was amazing, and it was a bunch of student students. Yeah. And it's just amazing, their theatre programme. Uh, they've got... They de- like, Nexus Theatre is definitely an amazing space, and it was, like, a real privilege to learn theatre craft there and it's probably there that I kind of learnt to do all the various things that I do because um, in order to put on shows there you kind of have to like unlike Whopper where it's a lot more like all the courses are kept quite separate from each other at Murdoch you sort of to put on a show you had to learn lighting and had to do sound and had to get your shit together and kind of do that Uh, so I guess that's that's where my particular set of skills comes from yeah were there any memorable lectures at Murdoch at your time at Murdoch probably in my the beginning of my PhD was when I started working with Helena Gran who is like a phenomenal art, like theatre academic and she just kind of opened my she, she more than anyone else really opened my eyes to the breadth of contemporary theatre performance 
um, as well as contemporary theatre writing. Probably the biggest influence on me still, yeah. In 2015, Joe developed and created a solo show called Letters Home, in which Joe shared some letters that he never sent to his family in Singapore. He then later toured the show as a double bill with Jamie Lewis and her show Salt Water, in which they both were interviewed for an article with the Sydney Morning Herald, in which the reporter, John Bailey, wrote, Joe Louis quite literally can't go back to Singapore. He grew up a child actor on Singaporean television and used the earnings to travel to Australia in his late teens. At 21, he decided to refuse compulsory military service and as a result, he has never been able to return to the place he grew up. What comes to you when I mention Singapore? It's a very complicated relationship, but it's also one that's been evolving. I think in my first few years in Australia, I was mainly just relieved to be glad uh, to be away and just kind of happy that I was here, which I still am. What spurred me to start writing letters home was a sense that kind of like the hatred for the place had really died down and, and become a far more reflective, introspective kind of feeling about how as much as I didn't like it and as much as I feel like it kind of has... I guess, I, guess I, I, I felt like, despite all the negative feeling I had about it, that it was still very much in me yeah. and very much influenced and continues to influence me. And when I kind of came to that realisation, I started writing Letters Home and kind of in the three years since then, it's been... Yeah, it's just been... Uh, my feelings towards Singapore have developed more in that direction. I don't think I'll ever regret my decision to not go back, but I maybe think about it a bit more kindly than I used to. Yeah, I just find it interesting, and like when I when I was doing my you know preliminary research into this, and when I saw this Sydney Morning article, I thought, that really popped out. I was like, fuck. Mm. I thought, fuck. Yeah, because on the one side. Like military, compulsory military service, and from my background, you know, my grandfather's had to do in Spain and Italy and whatnot, uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. And actually a reason why my mum didn't make me a Spanish citizen was because at the time they still had uh, compulsory military service. And and quite, I, I'm not sure what you think, but I always had this weird idea, like what if my mother made me a Spanish citizen and I had to serve compulsory military service. But yeah. I do, and the funny thing with me is I don't know any Spanish or the language at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having to serve in, you know, in, I don't know, in whatever capacity that the Spanish government find fit. But yeah, I, yeah, I find that, uh, yeah. So reading that was just, oh, just, yeah, horrible. And and I, and I, I imagine, I believe Singapore still has compulsory military yeah. service. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess the difference for me is I grew up there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely, like, yeah, having not grown up here and kind of growing up there until my late teens, it was definitely a sense of kind of running away from it rather than not doing something that was very foreign to me. Yeah. Hopefully, by the time this comes out, this other chapter will come out. I did an interview with Lucy Clements, and I was saying to you before, right, right at this very spot, and as you know, uh, oh, sorry, 
Uh, for the people that you should know, um, and I think we did discuss about Lucy's uh, project, um, you helped, you directed her show... Uh, Fracture. Yeah. Fracture, yeah. thank you. Uh, Fracture at the Blue Room Theatre, mm-hmm. I believe in 2015? Yeah. I'm just curious because we had a good chat about you, and just out of curiosity, what do you think is a quality that an emerging artist should strive for? Excitement about learning, not just within the theatre world, but outside of it. I think I see a lot of artists at the moment who are kind of desperate to make work, but I get less of a sense that they have fully articulated what they want to say through it. I think there is something about having broad and consuming interests outside of theatre that really feeds the work you make. I think, yeah, I think there's a, there's a slight sense that people come out and obviously they want to prove that they're very capable and a lot of, you know, they are. They, everyone is, that's making out of, like, say, the BPA is certainly much more capable than I when I first came out. But, yeah, I think uh, an openness to learning and a willingness to fail, actually, yeah. I tell you, I think failing is the most important part. Yeah, I think that for anyone in uni as well, like if you're, when I, when I lecture at uni, I say there's no better place to fail than here because it's a protected environment. So go big, fail big, learn from it, move on, you know. I'd say that's, and actually that's kind of what drew me to working with Lucy I think on the surface of it, you look at what Lucy's interested in making and you look at what I'm interested in making and there's not a lot of crossover maybe and we're kind of interested in very different things. But she had a lot of drive and a lot of passion but also very much came to me and didn't listen to what I say kind of slavishly but I could see her actively engaging with what I was doing and and that more than anything else made me go okay I, I think I really want to spend time with this person yeah remembering from that from Fracture the one thing I really really loved about it was the setting and how you set up the auditorium mm. and the action of the story that took place it was sort of like this amphitheatre gladiatorial and I think that was you made them the director's notes yeah, I referenced to this interesting gladiatorial arena where the audience was pretty much it wasn't theatre of the round from no it was like what we call a diamond thrust diamond thrust, <laughs> diamond thrust. I've never heard that well you know it's like a, in the shape of a diamond mm. and it's a thrust stage so, yeah and I remember like this like the set you had these half walls yeah and I can't remember was the and roof, like a roof kind yeah, of yeah and you were like on the outside looking in and it's sort of like yeah it created this weird sort of feeling that you're kind of part I don't think pervert is the right word no but sort of intruder yeah like a voyeuristic yeah. feel to it yeah it's, it was just wonderful and oh I mean credit to Pat Howe the designer mm-hmm. who yeah yeah just fabulous and people I encourage people to um, Google because and go because that was part of Renegade Productions yeah I believe so no that was New Ghost that was Lucy's thing yeah Um, but I'm thinking there should be some photos 
um, yeah, there are definitely some photos. If you go on Facebook, have a look at Fracture because it's just a very interesting design. How do you see the role of a director? I think it changes with each project. Um, when I directed I Am My Own Wife last year, it was very much... Uh, the script was set, it was a beautiful script, the actor was incredibly talented. In that role, it was really about surrounding Brendan with as much support as possible, uh, creating perfect conditions for him to operate in and just letting him get on stage and do his thing. Mm. Then immediately after that, I went to make Unveiling, which uh, is incredibly collaborative. I, I had a big hand in building it, put it together with a, with a team that very much felt like a, f a family by the end of it. And in that capacity, I was much more involved and on the ground and writing and bringing exercises into the room and all that sort of thing. I think one of the big things I learned, kind of spending, I spend a lot of time watching directors because I get to, because I work in all these different capacities. And I think the best directors in the rehearsal room, they are adaptive and they tailor each show and each set of performers and designers they have to the, like they tailor their work to the people in the room and they put those people in the best positions to succeed and I think that that kind of works more than directors who like have a thing that they do and then they try and do that thing on top of whatever's happening yeah and they sort of don't acknowledge what the natural talent of the performer well I you know I think obviously we're talking like we're talking extremes here and every, really everyone falls into the continuum I don't know that there's any director that doesn't acknowledge the talent of the performer but definitely some are more interested in doing their thing rather than looking at the project and maybe helping the performer do their thing a bit more yeah I wondered, do you have a preference of so your experiences of I am my own wife and unveiling mm. do you have a preference of being in a smaller team with I am my own wife um, no, I think I think as a director, every opportunity is, a, is is its own challenge, and it's like like I there, there couldn't have been more different directing experiences, but I had the best time on both of them. I was like I love doing both shows. You know, yeah, absolutely. Do you have any strong concerns about the future of Perth's art industry? I don't have strong concerns about the future of Perth art. Like, I think the artists are really vibrant, and I think Francis Barber, the BPA, is producing, like, a really strong pi pipeline of fresh artists into the mix every every year um, that are skilled in what they do to a degree that... I mean, I can only talk about myself. Like, I, every year I work with the BPA students, I find myself wishing I did the course when I was, you know... Um, going into uni the industry question is an interesting one just in terms of budget cuts lack of venue all these problems that have plagued Perth for a while I mean it's hard to not be worried but maybe the hope is we're just kind of hanging on until another regime comes in that boosts funding so that it can be cut again in the future you know what I mean yeah, like yeah, these yeah. things are cyclical 
I'm hoping we're near the end of this kind of entropic death row <laughs> that the professional sector seems to be in, you know? Like, I think for me, like, one of the, the biggest holes in it, there needs to be a per theatre company. Well, well in, that, that's from... As in, like, Black Swan doesn't fulfil that Well, I think it does, but I think it has a lot on its plate. Right. Having interviewed, and people check out these uh, chapters... Um, I interviewed uh, Duncan or the Director General of Culture and the Arts. Yeah. And I, and I naturally talked to him about the Perth Theatre Company and, um, yeah. and, and that sort of thing. And he says, yeah, it, it's nice to have a middle range theatre company because if you've got like, it's sort of like, there's sort of these stepping stones from the Blue Room. Yeah, you go I to mean, the Perth Theatre Company and then the Black Suit. That's always been the problem. Um, the step from the Blue Room to Black Swan is huge yeah and there's nothing in between we'll see we'll see I I tend to believe in a robust middle class more than a few kind of people getting all the work and and professional theatre companies in my mind and I'm a beneficiary of them I worked a lot with PTC and I worked a lot with Black Swan but they tend to ensure that a few people get very well-paying work. Mm. Whereas an initiative like Loft, mm. which is about empowering independent artists uh, to do their own work, I think overall is a more, in my mind, is a way is a better is better. It's a way of ensuring that more people are practicing artists mm. um, in the community. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that you know, the Loft Initiative, the people at the Blue Room, fucking unreal. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's magical. Like you've got um, a recent Loft project was uh, that lady, I think Julia, who's doing a Julia show. Julia Hales, yeah, Hales, and she's doing a show at the State Theatre Centre. Yeah, as part of the Perth Arts Festival. Yeah, I did a the Loft. lighting design. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, it's a really, really fucking good show. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, is it still on? No. Yeah, it's on today and tomorrow. It's on this afternoon and tonight and one tomorrow. That's perfect, actually. Yeah. Get your, well, by the time this comes out, it'll be it's long gone. <laughs> yeah. But um, it'll be uh, a wonderful, wonderful, uh, important historic event. Yeah, it's great. Is there something that an emerging artist should watch out for? Yeah, defining yourself too soon. I think. Yeah, maybe. I think so. I. Like my just my particular journey has been so wending and winding. I kind of like there's just a lot of people who have already decided that physical theatre is what they'll be doing, and I feel like you know like a commitment like that is awesome. But you know, like perform the performing arts is so wide and so varied. You are so young. Give yourself the chance to like discover something you know yeah absolutely having said that it's just like about what you want to be with your arts life I guess I personally I am always interested in growing and developing new new things and like looking at new ways of making work and looking at new forms but there are people in this town who've been really successful with knowing who they are and what they want to do and just doing the shit out of that so take that 
like you know, I I don't really feel qualified to give emerging artists advice. Oh. There you go. <laughs> oh, so just say. take it with all. Just take all of it with a grain of salt. You know. I but. remember because um, Joe Louis has taught me. Oh. I remember my last year, 2016, and we had this very. I think it was only a day we had. Well, no, because well, you helped um, with mm. our lighting design. But we had like a sort of special lecture from you, and we're talking about drama. Yeah. And I wonder, and I love this exercise you did. You got us to form a circle and sort of create a sort of performance space in the centre of this circle. Yeah, yeah. And then you got three of us, no, first two of us, one to be a cat and one to be a mouse. Yeah. So it starts with. Yeah. Well, it starts with just the. Ca- I don't know how I. I fuck this exercise up all the time. <laughs> But in the ideal scenario, it starts with just a cat, and you're going, "Well, this is an interesting character," but so that, like no one can see is the other thing. So the cat's kind of feeling its way around the space, and you're going, "This is an interesting character, but it's not a play. What yeah. do you need? So it needs an objective, and you give it some cheese, and that's finding the cheese. It's still not that interesting. So then you put a mouse. No, so you put it's a mouse. It's, see, I've already fucked it up. <laughs> so then you put the cat and the mouse, and then what you've got is. A protagonist with a goal and an antagonist with an opposite goal and they're working at cross purposes and they're kind of working against each other and learning each other and so it's just kind of illustrative of the really basic building blocks of drama and I do that when I'm teaching lighting and sound because of like there's this sort of glib answer that everyone gives like what should design do support the story and my contention is most people that say this don't really know what story is. If you don't know what is a story, what is narrative, if you don't know dramaturgy, then how can anything that you do really be supporting it other than by accident or by intuition, which is a great thing, but we go to uni so that our intuition can be formalized and sharpened through technique. Right? So, that's why um, I teach lighting design at WAPA and my, my, so my unit is called design theory and I teach the third years and really it's a dramaturgy unit. It's like, let's read a lot of plays and watch a lot of contemporary dance and think about the structures that are inherent here and what it means to support that. Mm. Yeah. It's dance. Popped into my head, I remember... There was someone, some publication, some online article mm. was asking for reviewers who specialise in dance performances. Yeah. But I'm th- when I saw this, you know, you know, um, notice, I was kind of confused. I was thinking, surely if you review, if you're a theatre reviewer, surely yeah. you must be able to review a dance show. Yeah. I don't know that that's the truth. Dance, like it's a whole different... Like, it's a different... It's not even a different genre. It's just a different art form. I So if you're a reviewer and you're used to talking about building dramatic tension and the satisfying payoff and the quality of the characters and the depth of the acting and the... I don't know that those are the tools that you need to go watch a dance work. They're, yeah, structurally, they're just completely different beasts, I think. I don't know that someone that say reviews Oscar Wilde's plays or or novels is like then inherently inherently 
equipped to review and sexting. For me, that's the easiest illustration of the difference between theatre and dance. It's probably the difference between a novel and a poem. Mm. And they're kind of different. And yeah. Yeah, they, they still have words like poem and like a novel. They still have words, but yeah. again, a lot of the structure and the rhythms. And, and, the... and it's intention and what you're trying to create, what you're trying to do to the... You know, a poem is some, a non-narrative poem, like a poem from the confessional school. or A poem is a mirror where you look at it and you bring yourself to it and you see yourself in it and you go away reflecting on how you relate to it. And that's what dance is, you know, as opposed to a story, a narrative that's trying to tell you what it is. Yeah. I have to say when we were speaking before Joe asked me what was a, a show that I really liked at Fringe World and after now I sort of changed that answer well not really a show that I really really liked was this dance show at the Perth Town Hall mm. um, and I can't remember its bloody name but talking about dance just watching these young and I think they're second year was dancers. it like Ellen Hope Thompson's show yes I think so because I know Zoe Hollyoak did the publicity yeah it was here moving yeah that's it yeah here yeah. moving I watched that, right? And I just got lost into yeah. it. And I was, although part of me, I was making meaning. You know, I was trying to, for me, just annoyed. I was trying to attach a story. I was trying to, you know, find the drama. Yeah. But that's, but I, I enjoyed doing that, though. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think it's like making meaning is, pr- is probably a, a funner way to go about it than um, projecting drama. It's kind of like, with dance, with contemporary dance especially, it's kind of like a dream, right? And you're going to wake up from a dream and you're not going to have a very satisfying narrative when you recall the dream. It's just like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this weird thing happened, and then, whoa, this thing happened. But you don't sit there and you go, oh, well, what, what, what was it about? What was the story? <laughs> you understand a dream to be a sequence of images in which... There is probably meaning in there if you look at it and reflect on it, but probably taking the story, like the the words of someone's dream and and forcing a narrative on it probably isn't going to be very satisfying. So you just kind of sit inside of it and experience it and take what you can from it and put it together. I think that's how you're not meant to, but that's what dance does, I think. Who or what inspires your work? Uh, I take a lot of inspiration from like science and history, actually. I take a lot of inspiration from the evolutionary roots of our social structures. I take a lot of inspiration from the development of human societies over time. I take a lot of inspiration from the rise and fall of empires. I take a lot of inspiration from like new findings in particle physics and astrophysics. Uh, probably more than anything else, they are the direct influences of my work. Um, in terms of artists, I take a lot from theatre of the post-traumatic school. I listen to like I listen to a lot of country music. So like Drive By Truckers and Casey Musgraves are maybe big influences on me. I mean, I could go on. Yeah, yeah. You know, like a lot of movies I think when you're an artist everything around you 
has to influence you and then you kind of like go out of your way to seek like at the moment I'm reading a book about you know basic subatomic particles and like new findings in the realm of um, particle physics and I'm listening to this kind of broad brushstroke history of China and I think it really is a is a summation of my broad interests maybe my most significant and continuing influence is South Park yeah take from everything I think it's what I was talking about when I was like have broad interests that exist outside of theatre and art just be obsessed with something and you'll find that when it comes time to make work it's so much easier because you've already got something to say and once you have something to say then the form that will fit it the most becomes apparent the way in which you're going to say it becomes apparent and makes itself known to you as opposed to like worrying about whether or not you should do this with puppets or should I have a movement section like all those questions answer themselves when you know that, okay, for my next work, I'm going to be talking about the idea that we're all made of stardust, but so is garbage, so calm the fuck down. <laughs> like, you know. I should say, like, I find a lot of artistic inspiration in memes. Mm. Fucking love memes and viral videos. Viral yeah. yeah. I, I mean that, that oh, and it gets to me there's this I think it's one of the very first memes with Futurama and Fry yeah it's like shut up take up my money that's the quote yeah and I noticed that oh my pen dropped and I noticed that KFC have taken that into its advertising yeah and sort of repurposing that wonderful quote from Futurama yeah and I'm thinking you capitalist you know fucking bastards <laughs> I mean we're all kind of as as performing artists we're all dealing in cultural like we're all dealing in like cultural icons and shut up and take my money for instance is something that like everyone knows shut up and take my money probably more than people say like you know probably more than like alas poor Yorick and instead of going like oh there goes society like it's our job as artists to go to recognize that one of them has more currency amongst a certain market and kind of like leverage that in the art that we make I think so yeah like go and, you know take the memes talk about KFC I love talking about KFC KFC is like my enduring obsession it's so funny I was watching just it so happened last night I was watching a couple of old ads of KFC yeah you know with Colonel Sanders in the 60s and yeah I think his very last one was like in 80 1980 and by this time he's you know Colonel Sanders is still around like as in not the yeah. original guy <laughs> yeah. but that you know the whole thing the actor that plays Colonel Sanders is like it's like an institution mm. in America that gets handed from one Colonel Sanders <laughs> to the next I think Norm MacDonald was the last one He's like the most, I think he's either the most recent or just one gone Colonel Sanders. And he's, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. I like uh, the uh, YouTube, funnyordie.com, and I've got a YouTube channel, and John, Good, John Goodman yeah. plays Colonel Sanders. Yeah, right. And this weird sort of spin, and now the Colonel is trying to play to the gay market. Yeah, right. And it's a very interesting thing, and I love this picture. I've got to show you this picture. Yeah. I get to see a lot of American ads as well because I watch a lot of American football, which is also a great inspiration for me. 
I'm now showing Joe a picture of John Goodman. Oh, great. That's yeah. amazing. He's perfect. It's just so funny and... Ah, that funnyordie.com Colonel Sanders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, don't be embarrassed about that stuff. Just go make work about it. How do you handle stress? I feel like I personally get stressed a lot less than a lot of people around me. I think I'm intrinsically good at breaking stuff down. So, say I'm a director and I'm approaching Tech Week and I'm like, oh, I, I'm very good at breaking the stress of, well, we're here, we have to get to there, how the fuck are we going to do that? My brain instantly kind of breaks it down into, well, first we got to make some lights, then simultaneously we can do some sound, then we can do, and just kind of like breaks it down into tiny deal-withable problems that I solve that are right in front of me. It does mean that my long-term planning is a bit shit because I'm very good at worrying about the thing that's in front of me and breaking down big, big problems into a series of things that are in front of me. The downside with that is anything far away is hard. So yeah, I don't have much short-term stress, but in terms of like career stress, I don't really know how to deal with that. I'm just always on edge. Yeah. That's very interesting. Processing. Yeah. It's a, it's a good strategy. Yeah. And it's it's easy to be like... It's one of those things that's really easy to say, like don't stress about all the other things just deal with the thing that you can handle right now uh yeah where i think it's really easy to say to someone if someone doesn't have the capacity to do it already it's kind of akin to telling a depressed person to cheer up but i just kind of seem to have the ability to do that yeah what are you looking forward to in 2018 unveiling might happen again I'm looking forward to that I'm looking i'm looking forward to a couple of things that are currently like waiting on confirmations um, so hopefully they come through hopefully I make some work I'm very curious what do you find with adaptation like if, if I was going to adapt I'm just curious have you have you had much history in adapting say a classical work or yeah my first Blue Room show was an adaptation of like a like a Ming Dynasty play that I kind of yeah adapted um, and then I did a couple of like semi-historical adaptations of like kind of contemporizing Thomas Paine and Dia. Even Unveiling is in some ways an adaptation of the Book of Revelation. Yeah, I do it. So what what do you want to... No, no, I, I was, it's just... I was going to do a submission to the yeah. Durham Theatre for the August, mm-hmm. December season, mm-hmm. and basically it wasn't an ap- adaptation of the works um, of a Shakespeare play, but it's sort of an improvisation celebration of William Shakespeare and that work, and it was borrowing a lot from Commedia dell'arte and what have you. But yeah. it's a really, it was actually I had a wonderful meeting with Harriet Roberts, and it's quite. And she, you know, she did ask me the, the important questions. So, yes, it sounds interesting that you want to do an improvisation based on, you know, the, the styles, themes, characters of William Shakespeare. Yeah. But she said, why, why does it need to be improvised and not, say, devised? Yeah. And 
And the interesting thing was, and it's, you know, it's a fair enough question, what is the cultural relevance of you know, talking about Shakespeare to today's audience? Yeah, it's a question that I struggle with because the, the classicist in me says, obviously, that understanding the roots of where our entire practice comes from is incredibly important. Understanding an institution like Shakespeare is very important. I wonder about the difference between understanding the institution being important and like whether or not devoting resources to mounting it is equally important. The part of me that's kind of maybe lefter-leaning wonders if we need Shakespeare for like two or three years, like whether or not there could be value in just like not doing it in Australia for two, three years and seeing what happens instead. Yeah, I mean, yes, it is incredibly adaptable and that's the strength of Shakespeare. I also feel like we've seen it a bunch, feel like we need to understand it. I don't know that understanding it means putting it on a bunch. Those are my thoughts. Like, obviously, I'm not going to campaign to defund Bell or anything. Yeah. Like, But the Royal Shakespeare Company in the UK makes provision to generate new work. And, like, Revolt, she said, Revolt Again came out of the RSC. And that's just, like, one of the most contemporary forward-looking works that exist at the moment I mean yeah I think I'm, I lean towards like I I don't know that I'd ever devote resources towards mounting a Shakespeare I, it'd be different if someone offered me $10,000 to direct one kind of an interesting conversation yeah I'd imagine you know what if we did have this sort of three year four year no more Shakespeare or even one year you know like yeah like and it wouldn't be about it wouldn't be about making it less important or not studying it it would just be about we just don't program it for a year I'd be very curious like what about if we did have like a whole entire year in Australia if some magical ban happened right yeah. where we could not adapt any of the classics no, yeah. besides say and we could only ever like for that year produce contemporary you know new work yeah or yeah and then you know then the next year would be all adaptations say I don't know Maybe. But you know, like... So, have you read Hamlet Machine? No, I heard of it, though. So, Hamlet Machine's great, and it's the exact kind of thing where I'm like, every time someone puts on a Shakespeare, I'm like, well... The plays that are Shakespearean, that are adaptations that are very forward-looking, that are less seen on stage, exist. Like, Hamlet Machine's great. I'd love to see... A scale version of Hamlet Machine, but it's just so much more likely that you'll see another Hamlet. Uh, yeah, you should read it. It's like yeah. eight pages long. I'm trying, I'm trying to remember. Yes, yeah. no, no, because I remember my friend uh, and colleague uh, Gala Shevsov, who studied with me at the BPA. No, she, she, I think she wrote an essay about it, or she, and, and it's good. I'm trying to remember. Is it German? Th- no, is it a German theater? It's Heine Muller. Yeah. Yeah, it's a German. Maker, German yeah. theatre maker, Hamilton. I've wrote them down. I'm going to have a quick look at it because I think it'll be very beneficial to this project that I've got. Yeah, it's fucking cool. <laughs> and um, yeah, and and that's just that's just the most obvious one that's occurring to me now. Mm. Plenty more of these exist. Yeah. I'm now, for some weird reason, Wojciech is popping into my head. Yeah. 
and uh, for people at Wojciech, I, I think I might be right, but it's a play where 27 or 26 scenes have been written, and you can sort of readapt the play and rearrange the order of these scenes. They're not like in a particular order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, love and communication has that as well. Love and communication. Carol Churchill, I think she wrote it a few years ago. Yeah. Same, same deal. Yeah. I was trying to remember. So with unveiling, people, there are photos, and it is a remarkably... Obvi- I didn't have the chance to see it myself yeah. because it got cancelled because of one of the performers' health reasons. Yeah. Um, but you can see some of the photographs of the production, um, and it is quite a visual work. Just, just looking on the photographs on Facebook and whatnot. And I did hear that, and you say now, that it was like an adaptation of the Book of Revelation... And I'm trying to remember who was the, because um, I was remember reading some press about it. Like you were inspired by that Mexican performance artist. Oh yeah, uh, Gomez Pena. Gomez Pena. Yeah, I am. Yeah. A lot, all the time. If you, you like, if you Google Gomez Pena, you'll see that I basically cribbed my entire look from him, just what, like as a person. Yeah. What attracts you to his work? It's kind of cross-cultural jamming that, in the sense of the, of the artist every day as a work of art, um, and his kind of, like his very visual style of like, over, overloading the image with signs, and so you have a lot of signs and symbols, and they all kind of clash with each other, and there really isn't a sense of like, oh this means this, this means this. You just like. You've put, you know, a person in one cowboy boot and one stiletto heel and they have a McDonald's sign on their head while wearing a Zapatista hat. Like, you know, like, and it's like, what does it mean? And again, it's like that mirror dream thing where you kind of take from it what you will, but it's kind of a curated, it's like a curated mirror. I love that. Yeah. And I remember there's, I think there's a video of him with one of his works and he gets his tongue out and, he's, and he cuts it with scissors or yeah, yeah, some, yeah, yeah. and I find that very interesting. It doesn't cut off his tongue, no. but, but it's the image, it's the image yeah. of, and, if, and as an audience member, and if you watch him for the first time, you think, fuck, his, his tongue's going to drop off. Yeah. Some really visceral... Yeah, and it's kind of like what I was talking about, about like image making and... I tend to be more interested in image making than abstracted physicality, personally. And I like, and it, this is actually like related to me talking about memes and videos as part of performance work. It's just about accepting pop culture as a part of all our lives and putting it into performance art contexts. I think it's, it's crucial. I mean, in a way, that's what, sh- I mean, not in a way, it's actually what Shakespeare did and what made him so relevant to the time like he he was putting in references that were contemporary in his own time into stories that are you know hundreds of years old by the time they got to him yeah all the histories well all everything I I don't think he wrote an original story Mm. Um, pretty sure he didn't I think that's the thing Uh, do you believe that because it's interesting also there's a school of thought with Shakespeare that um, Shakespeare didn't write any of his plays and he was sort of like this cover guy 
Yeah, I think I don't. I don't think I'd buy that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like you need to kind of have beyond reasonable doubt levels of burden of proof to make a extraordinary extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I don't think that evidence exists. Yeah. I believe he did. He did. He did collaborate. Yeah. With Marlo. Yeah. And Ben Johnson, I believe, mm. because I remember watching this video with you know two of the great British actors, Mark Rylance and Derek Jacobi, and they're and they're big supporters of oh Shakespeare. He didn't write any of that. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking to myself because and their main point was how could such a person talk about so much detail about fishing and um, you know and, and work and labouring? How can just this author this um, middle class, well, country middle class, then became a rich property, yeah. property, property, yeah, guy. Um, you know, talk about the working man, you know, and, and, and blah blah blah. And I, I don't know, like listening to the argument sort of annoyed me because surely artists, all artists, should be able to talk about, you know, anything or everyone. Or yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, you can also talk to people, you know. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask a fisherman how that works. <laughs> you can certainly talk to people. I feel like writing and uh, going to that YouTube video and writing in the comments. You know, you, you do realise your shakes are going to talk yeah. to people and have a conversation. Yeah. Are you watching anything tonight? Random question. No. I just I've just come off fringe and you know we belong together and I'm just taking a break mm. yeah oh that's one thing I want to um, Sudden Skies you worked on Sudden Skies Bridget LeMay yeah um, I watched it that was that was a show I really really enjoyed oh great and the sound because you did the sound no I did the lighting lighting Rebecca Riggs Bennett did the sound she's very good well the design was fabulous yeah. um, people Sudden Skies I love the set how you had the, the, the gateways these wonderful arches and they were representing stone and you had this Inscription at the very, very top. Yeah. Um, and then the flashing and the lightning and the rain and the drama. Is it? Yeah, Southern Skies. God, that was a good show. Mm. And I found that an interesting take on you know the refugee crisis. Yeah, yeah. And well, that's ever, what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joe, the Book of Life. Yeah. Going back at the start of 2017. Yeah. And reading the Sydney Morning Herald article, and you were a, a child actor. Yeah. I'm very. Uh, what do you think I'm just interested in your take of being a, like an actor and a performer because you did perform in the book of life yeah, okay, yeah. do you think that do you have it, when you perform do you have a particular I don't know technique method so approach? I think uh, no because, but also I think that whenever I've been on stage I've basically just been me amplified I think there are actors that have very deep processes that allow them to become a wide range of people very believably. I don't have that training or, honestly, that talent and ability, so I don't try to do that. When I'm on stage, what I'm selling is me, so I, I just do me. I think, yeah, I think if I tried to do, like a real impression or you know if I tried to be Daniel Day-Lewis I'd be terrible I, like I know that my 
aptitude for mimicry is not very yeah yeah mm, mm. because it because then I go into yeah the Western school for you know Stanislavski and yeah Daniel Day Lewis yeah a very prominent you know method actor yeah like I don't have a problem with that I think it's like you got to do what you got to do to get the best results on stage I just know that I am not good at that kind of acting I don't denigrate that kind of acting I use those kinds of actors when I need acting done but people the people that want me on stage tend to want me on stage just to like kind of do me so I do that I like that I'm just yeah do me did you ever have a temptation to you know work in the east the eastern states yeah always like Melbourne and Sydney and always every day Uh, there's economics involved in moving that I'm yeah I just don't have I think a lot of people that move over east have like at least a final fallback if everything fucking fails they can like go stay at their parents for a couple of months and without that security blanket I have to think very carefully about what work I can have going there I think the other thing is I'm one of the few few lucky people that is basically an artist all the time if I went over east unless I could do that it's kind of why would I do that yeah because it's like because well, I don't imagine you'd have contacts, but then it's sort of like re-establishing... That's right. ...all the business, you know, your brand, your... You prove your history, prove your yeah. work. I was, I was just curious. Okay, no, fair enough. Because yeah. there's always that dream of mine to sort of, oh, you know, I... Because I was, I was talking to a mate of mine, and he's like, I'm going to Melbourne. I'm going to move to Melbourne at the yeah. end of the year. Yeah. I'm going to go there. Yeah. And then, but I'm thinking to myself, well, I could, but as soon as I arrive in Melbourne, I would have fuck all money. Yeah. And I'll be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and then you spend all the money getting and time getting established. So, Joe, as I was saying before, ten years, ten years in the future, in the year twenty twenty eight. Yeah. So, Joe, when we meet again, maybe we might be in Perth. Who knows? What would you like to plug in ten years? In ten years' time. So I don't know. I guess just like whatever new work I've got going on at the time. Like I'm, I'm kind of like okay with. The trajectory of making more and new work. Yeah. Well, Joe, here's to 2028. Here's to 2028.